This is the Sound the Foghorn Podcast. Fiala intercepts again, trying to find the handle on it. He does, he scores! What a play by Fiala! Your number one podcast for the Minnesota Wild. Now I'm proud to select with the ninth pick in the 2020 draft from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL, Marco Rossi. Covering their prospects, the NHL, AHL, news, advanced stats, and much more. Sets up Molino, back to Boldy, shoots, and scores! The BC Kid returns home and scores his first. Goes to work for the Wild, centers one, Erickson Eck with a shot, he scores! Jewel Erickson Eck, he's the hero. Poked away Kaprizov, in for a chance to win it, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Bach. Hello, and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn, our like third episode in like six days, probably seven days, eight days, <laughs> yeah. like a record for us potentially here. Uh, Brett Marshall back with you, joined alongside as always by Zeke Boyat and Justin Baki. We are past the NHL trade deadline. Um, the home stretch is upon us toward the playoff march. Um, we've got a great guest coming on the show today. Ryan Carter will be joining us um, in a little bit to talk, you know, everything from the trade deadline to um, some college hockey. All kinds of good stuff. We had a really good conversation with him um, that we'll stitch into the pod here uh, in, in, in a little bit. Just lo- lots of good stuff. Great great to have him on the show. Yeah. Um, but kind of before we, we get into that and, and the rest of our show today, as we always do, got to check in on everyone. Justin, we'll go to you first. You and the kiddos took in uh, the wild practice today. Um, tell us how that went and just how, how you're doing uh, in general here on this Wednesday evening. That's my short work week, so I'm doing well. I mean, we had a blast awesome. uh, just being at practice, being able to see these guys up close for the kids, and made a couple signs. They didn't didn't work. We wanted to get a picture with Kirill and uh, Boldy, but you know, uh, we got a picture with Fiala, which was pretty cool. Not a and, bad alternative. Not a bad alternative. Yeah, not at all. Like those <laughs> are the three that 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 you that we kind of wanted to get a picture with. But uh, I, beggars can't be choosers, and then we still had fun. So um, awesome. Yeah, had a blast. Perfect. And Zeke, Sweet. what about you, man? Uh, not much. Uh, you know, as usual, I had my uh, pre-show coffee earlier this evening. Uh, went out with uh, my dad and my brother for a little while, which is always a good time. Just hang out, relax. And, uh, you know, pretty much like I mean, like you said off the top of the show, Brett, I was kind of confused. I'm like, oh, is it next Wednesday already? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, we just recorded two days ago. Is it Friday? And I don't know it. But uh, no, it was not. <laughs> it, it's Wednesday. So Man, I wish but, it was. Yeah, Friday. no. Oh, it'd be awesome. But especially the way they've been raining and dark and cold the last yeah, it's, few days. Yeah, it's definitely been a gloomy week. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we've got a couple things we want to hit on here before we get into uh, to our conversation with uh, Ryan Carter. Um, and first, as we always do, Justin, uh, we'll go to you for uh, for a prospect update. All right, perfect. So uh, we had a couple of prospects that had a decent week. Ryan O'Rourke picked up four points in three games, uh, two goals, two assists. He was actually our prospect of the week on uh, the Young Guns page, so uh, it's good to see him making a, a good impact in the OHL still. Um, Carson Lambos, same numbers, four points in, in uh, four games, two goals, two assists. 
Uh, Caden Bankier picked up three assists, two games. Damon Hunt, one goal, two assists in three games. It was just kind of one of those weeks where I feel like all of our defensemen prospect, prospects were having having good weekends, scoring like – I think one night Hunt, Lambos, and Oric all had like one goal, one assist in the game, and it was like, oh, man, this is an awesome night to cover these guys. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, uh, I mean, Iowa had kind of a tough weekend. They lost to Manitoba. Uh, we all know about Jack McBain. He's no longer a prospect, so we won't be covering him. Um, and then uh, defenseman Simon Johansson finished his last game of the 21-22 regular season, um, added an assist in the final game, uh, kind of started off the season slow, overall has 32 points in 58 games and belonged to some of the top defense scoring defensemen in that league, so cool to see him go from like a slow start to being one of the top scorers in that league so it'd be interesting to see what happens with him in the wild and then uh the last bit of news is something that came out today uh vladislav first off signed his entry level contract set to begin next year three years so congrats to him it was pretty fun to cover him at uconn had kind of a tough season last year and, and bounced back a little bit this year so it, it'll be fun to continue to track his progress and I believe he'll be on like an amateur tryout with Iowa. I think for the duration of the regular season, um, I believe gotcha. is how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, great to have him in the system. He's a guy that we've been monitoring closely. A guy I think our podcast has felt collectively a little higher on than the consensus. A guy that's easy to root for. I think a guy that uh, Scott Wheeler had come on the show and saying he could be kind of a dark horse. A guy that might take mm-hmm. you know a couple a couple extra years to develop properly, but a guy he thinks has some legit upside. So. Great to have him into the into the organization to have that ELC and to hopefully go down and be effective in Iowa. A guy who's you know got some offense. He had a remember from early in the year he had a sweet kind of highlight spinning backhand goal. Like he's got a great shot. Um, so I think definitely a guy that could you know potentially kind of pop and for sure bring a spark to an Iowa team that could probably use it considering we've been stealing their players all season long. Right. So. Right. Well, next up, um, it, this feels almost outdated now with how much news we've yeah. covered, um, and this, you know, between previewing the deadline and everything else. But um, uh, I think uh, would we have covered the Boston game. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So since yeah. then, uh, two games we did kind of holistically touch on most of the Vegas game, kind of indirectly at the trade deadline show. So the only other game, kind of since we last recorded, was the the uh, the game against Chicago Blackhawks. Um, which seemed like, you know, you know, all these games against these teams that you should be can always feel like trap games. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Wild come out, and as they have all year against Chicago, just really took it to them. Um, end up winning that game 3-1. to one. They get an empty netter from uh, Jordan Greenway, uh, and then goals as well from Ryan Hartman and uh, Freddie Goudreau. Um, again, just a, a great team effort. They only give up the one goal. Um, never really a game that you were really holding your breath in at all. Just a, just a good, complete effort, and... Um, you know, it's just one in, you know, Cam Talbot, a nice stretch here, two goals, one goal, zero goals in his last three starts after he had a stretch there, um, where he'd given up four more, I think in five out of six starts. So starting to find his ground too. And we, we touched on the implications of bringing Flurry with that, but, um, it, it feels like forever ago, even though it was what, like five days ago, but, uh, do you guys yes. have any just kind of lingering thoughts from, um, the wild Blackhawks game, um, on yeah, Saturday I was night. personally going to kind of let you guys touch on this it was a one o'clock game and i worked that day so i missed most of it i saw all the goals just 
on my lunch and then towards the end of my shift. But uh, overall, I was not able to catch everything as much as I'd like to. At least I got to see the goals. But yeah. It'd be something you guys would probably touch on better than I could be able to. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, I was there on Saturday. Uh, I was, you know, it was kind of weird, to be honest, uh, you know, when there's one o'clock games, like it seemed, I don't know if, you know, if it's always the case, but it seems whenever there's like an early game like that in a weekend that the play is a little bit sluggish. Like it seemed like a lot of passes were off, like, you know, they're skating hard and, you know, the effort was there, but it was not, you know, anything like that Boston game where there was, it was physical, everyone was going you know, all in. Like, yeah, it's really um, weird that there's like there seemed to be this bigger rivalry with the Boston Bruins than like yeah, longtime Chicago. rival Chicago. <laughs> it, it was bizarre yeah, it in was. that sense. Like that intensity just seemed to be like not there, which was very, very strange. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Freddie Goudreau got the first goal, a nice play from Kevin Fiala, and then uh, obviously, uh, you know, I think Cam Talbot. That was another one of his. You know, before uh, last night, or a couple nights ago in Vegas, was probably another one of his better games of the year. Even though he did get beat by Seth Jones in the third period to tie the game, he made a couple of great stops. You know, the one I can remember most was, I think, at the end of the Blackhawks power play, about a little bit left of the second. Uh, I can't remember, I think it was Kirby Dock or whoever was wide open back door, and he slid across and got the pad on it. So he made some good saves. And then obviously, you know, I think the top line in that game was, you know, they weren't bad, but as I said, you know, the passes are stopped. They didn't look good, but, you know, they came through, obviously, late in that game with, you know, Caprice Sub goes in the corner, digs out a loose puck, finds a Corella who, and then Ryan Hartman basically has an open net tap in to win the game. And, uh, yeah, no, that was fun because it was kind of a nervous game there, one-to-one last minute because Chicago was, had some chances, and it was like, you know, you really don't want to be losing to them at home ice, especially with all their fans, all that red in there. I'm like, let's not do this. But, uh, you know, obviously, like I said, they, they ended up winning, and, uh, I think that was the game too, Brett, that you pointed out on Twitter that Tyson Jost and uh, Brandon Duheim had a shift where with the goalie pulled, they kept the puck down on the boards in Chicago's end. for Yeah, it was seconds. nuts. And it, and it started in the defensive zone. Um, yeah. Jost and Duheim kind of won a battle along the boards of the point, got the puck out. I think Jost went for an empty netter, just missed, and then they did. They must have hemmed mm-hmm. that puck in the zone for another minute and a half, or probably another half a minute, yeah. and then were able to get a full line change. Um, and I think Shortly after that happened, Jordan Greenway put in the put in the goal from like 160 feet away um, on the empty net. But it was just, and it's just little things like that. Like that's not going to show mm-hmm. up really in the analytics or anything. We know I'm the analytics yeah. guy, and um, I'll touch a little bit on here. You know, I think we touched about Delorier and you know how his numbers the other night weren't great. But I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. the impact can't always be measured on the stat sheet. It's a shift like that too, right? When it's a two-one game, you just got a big goal from Ryan Hartman to take the lead. Chicago pulls their goalie. Um, you know, there's the whole saga surrounding Fleury at the time, and then you have, you know, you just have your fourth line go out there in a key situation. You know, a guy that's playing is what at the time would have been what is, is that his third, fourth, second, third game with the Wild, and just to have a big monster shift that. like that, I think was just huge and, and great to see um, from that perspective. And then is too, I mean, it, Ryan Hartman. I know he scored some big goals this year, but it feels like he scored big goals every game against Chicago. Just loves playing yeah. the former team and twisting that yeah. knife a little bit. Gets the big one laid on the typical tic tac toe play from from Kaprizov and Hartman Zeke, as you touched on. But but that was pretty as he was just kind of sitting wide open on the back door there. Yep. Yeah. All right, and then uh, we'll recap again Monday a little bit here. Uh, we covered most of it. Uh, well, against Vegas, a team that, you know, they, they had struggled with against early in the year, lost twice, I think some close games, high-scoring games. Um, obviously, Vegas out a bunch of young guns, or no, not young guns, a bunch of their guns in general. Uh, no Mark Stone, no Alec Martinez. Um, Patch Ready. Patch Ready. Yeah, Patch Ready's got his Theodore playing? 
I think uh, I thought he was. Yeah, he did. But... He, he wasn't very noticeable if he was. Um, yeah, yeah, he played. Um, but yeah, just missing a lot of guys. I mean, there was I think um, if you if you caught um, uh, worst seats in the house today, I think Lapana talked about like four guys that he had to like ask the other broadcaster about that he had never even heard of. <laughs> um, the the goalie is playing in his Henderson Silver Knights pads, like just Vegas in shambles. Mm. Um, and they will continue to be as their uh, their big trade at the deadline got vetoed by the league today. So yeah. they're in trouble, and uh, literally no one feels sorry for them, which is pretty funny yeah. to see. Nope. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just deviating off that, the Wild played just a really good, complete game. They come out of that one with a 3-0 win. Um, just another hard-fought game. Um, obviously, you get just an electric debut from Nick Delorier, um, yes. who him in the hot dish line just came out that first period, just guns a-blazing. Um, hitting guys in the corner. I think Deloria had four first period hits. He gets the goal as well on just the tick. Like it, it was very similar almost to that goal against Chicago where Yost puts it down the boards. He gets Duheim does a one touch from behind the net right to Deloria. He's coming down the slot and he one times at home. It's like, wait, this is our fourth line. This is the guy that said he <laughs> yeah. doesn't have any skill set and he puts it in and just, you know what? And I mean, Justin, you'll hear it later when we, when we talked about with Carter, but just the energy that that brought to the X from Delorier's reaction to the crowd reaction, just like lighting it up. And I think that was just a, a really a huge goal for that line and for him. And I think it, it really feels like it set the tone for this team. Like that shift feels like it could kind of set the tone for what's to come um, as Fleury and, and uh, Middleton will look to, uh, to make their impacts here soon. But I thought overall, you know, it's a game they should have won. Um, and they did, they took care of business. And we talked about as well, Cam tell, but another, another strong performance, picking up his, uh, Second shutout of the season um, with with the acquisition of Marc Andre Fleury on the same day. Yeah, I know we talk about it later in the show, but it, it was awesome to see that debut by Delorier ends up being first star of the game. Of course, the game winning goal. I just felt like we had this huge energy and just that celebration he did was sweet. Just it just set the tone for the game. Yeah, it was it was you know like you said pretty much a great game. I think the only. The only, I guess, bad part was there were a couple shifts there in the second period where Vegas, you know, Wild turned a couple bucks over, and I think uh, Kulikov and Merrill were on the ice for like almost three minutes each. They just could not yeah, it was, get the puck out. And, yeah, it was that yeah. pairing, I think, in the fourth line. Like the defense was yeah. like Oof. three and a half. I think the fourth line was out there for like two, two and a half. Yeah. But they didn't get scored on in the end. But um, No, they did not. Uh, I, thankfully, I mean, one time, there was a couple times I felt like, you know, on their power plays too, where Vegas, I think they passed up a lot of shots in that game. Yeah, too, they looked like the Wild is overpassing so. at times yeah. there, but <laughs> yeah. So I you know it's overall a great game. Um, yep. You know, another, an, I know three is it? Uh, you know, three in a row now. Um, four of their last six points and five of their last six, five one and one in that stretch, or four one and one in that stretch. So feels mm-hmm. like the Wild are starting to get back on track here. Have some winnable games coming up against Vancouver, Columbus. Um, and Colorado on Sunday, which should be a big game, and then Philadelphia. Um, you know, so definitely some games they can win, can continue to build some momentum um, as well. And um, I think the big key will be, you know, tomorrow we'll get to see um, this is kind of be where we go next. Um, we did see, as we speculated um, on the trade deadline show, Jacob Middleton uh, will make his wild debut. And um, if things hold up how they didn't practice today, um, he will be slotted on that first pairing with Jared Spurgeon, which um, I think. T- to my supply, which is a very pleasant surprise to me, because usually what I want, Dean never does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it looks like he's going to at least get that shot there. Um, Dmitry Kulikov, um, the odd man out, as we discussed, you know, who, who we thought might end up there. 
Um, but I think giving you really three really good pairings now with with you know kind of that defensive guy on each line and in Middleton and Brodine and, and Merrill and then the more offensive guy with Spurgeon, Dumba and Galagoska in each pair. I think balancing things out a little bit more and adding that size and that grade. I'm I'm excited that this is the route they went because I didn't think it was going to happen this early on, but but here we are. Well, I will you know sort of say thanks to Dean for giving the last show a listen. Yep. Uh, you yeah. know, cause like, like Brett said, obviously all the, all the best ideas come from here and the ones that don't work, you know, ignore those. Yep. But, we uh, never, they were, yeah, no, we I... stole those ideas from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they still haven't listened yeah. to my top five power play though. So they, they, they did the briefly, they did yeah, briefly for like briefly. a month. They're like, yeah, oh, you know, yeah. And then they decided they didn't like that idea for some reason. But... <laughs> yeah. I think back to scoring even strength, but you know, I think. I think you're right. I think that's, uh, I mean, I think they asked him, that was somebody he likes about having Milton with Spurgeon. And he, I think his answer was, well, he's bigger than him. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, there's, you can have your arguments about size, but I think that, you know, as we talked about last podcast, you know, that could definitely help to have, you know, I think Galagoski has struggled. And I think maybe as far as age, but I think it's, I think that's maybe the player he's always been. He's not really a, I don't know if he's like an elite defender. He seems to be more of like a puck mover offensive guy. So, you know, like I said in the last show, hopefully, uh, if, if you got a guy who's bigger there, a little more strong defensively on the left side with Spurgeon, uh, yeah, like like Brett said, it's certainly a you know fascinating. And as you said, it's a, it's a refreshing that you know that they're trying something new right away. And uh, you know, I guess you know, like we said, we'll see how it goes uh, tomorrow night against Vancouver. Yeah, I'm certainly excited too because you saw or read a lot of people read saw heard that Middleton played with uh, Burns and Eric Carlson was in a lot of key situations there and. And to throw him in with Spurgeon right away is pretty exciting. Like you mentioned, Brett, you wanted him to do it right away. You didn't. Yep. Wasn't sure if he would. You may start on the third line with, with either Merrill or, or Kulikov. But I mean, it's awesome that they're just going for it right away. Yeah, I think um, if my data served correctly from Natural Stat Trick, fifty-six career games for Middleton. Um, I think just shy of a thousand minutes played, and eighty percent of those have been with either Eric Carlson or Brent Burns. So, like, not a guy that's a stranger to playing with um, with skilled defensemen. Um, I think a guy much like Delore who knows what his role is. Like, I don't. he's not going to try to be offensive. He knows his job is to bump guys off the puck, clear the front of the net, and, you know, let, let a guy like Spurgeon be the puck mover and just be the stay-at-home guy. So um, that's what I'm excited for is just to see, you know, maybe what having, you know, not to say that that's what Ryan Suter was, but I think Suter had a little more of a defensive prowess probably than Goligoski does. So mm-hmm. seeing how, mm-hmm. you know, having that stability back there might allow Jared Spurgeon to jump up into some more plays and just to see how that all works out. Um, and we talked about this briefly with Ryan Carter too, but I'm curious to see when we see some of these um, guys, the Middletons, the Deloriers, the Yosts, um, all guys who were brought in too. I don't know if it was ever explicitly stated, but guys that have been penalty killers and have been good penalty killers. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if they maybe start getting some looks on special teams as well. Um, but that's another thing I'll be definitely watching tomorrow. Um, we did find out today that Marc-Andre Fleury will not be making his uh, first career start with the Wild tomorrow, as we suspected. Um, sounds like the Wild just kind of gave him today to to go back home and, and do the things he needed to do to take care of his family in Chicago, and it sounds like he should be in line um, to start on Saturday against the Blue Jackets. And then uh, we'll see. I don't know if they'll go back-to-back. Um, with a five o'clock start on Sunday against Colorado, or if they'll go back to Talbot in that one, but um, Flurry's debut coming, and that's definitely something to be excited for as well. Yeah, definitely. I noticed he wasn't at practice today, and found out later why. Um, it was uh, Talbot and Connor Beaupre today. Beaupre yeah. had had uh, pretty similar pads to 
flurry. So I was like, that's not flurry. A similar <laughs> path, but, a little bit, little um, bit smaller. Yeah, a little bit smaller. But, As Russo, uh, I think, ch- yeah. chimed in on Twitter about that. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of what's, what's ahead here. Um, mm-hmm. Touched on everything trade deadline. We recap a little bit more of that with Ryan Carter here in a minute, so I don't know if I want to dive into more. Is there uh, is there anything else um, you guys want to touch on here before we uh, jump into the Carter interview? No, I, I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah right. no, not much. Just, uh, yeah. Not, not much else. Then we got it all. Cool. All right. Well, uh, let's jump into that interview with Ryan Carter. And Sound the Foghorn is very happy to welcome to the show for the very first time a former Mankato Maverick, fellow Maverick, but most importantly, a former member of the Minnesota Wild and Stanley Cup champion, Ryan Carter. Ryan, welcome to the show. We're ecstatic to have you here. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an exciting week to be both a Maverick and be affiliated with the Minnesota Wild. Uh, lots of good stuff going on with with both entities. So um, yeah, man, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We've been talking on the podcast in the last couple of weeks just how the month of March and with the added of the trade deadline this year, it's just such a fun time to be a hockey fan in Minnesota with the Wild usually ramping up play with the state hockey tournament. Uh, the NCAA tournaments and, you know, from even from the conference championships to the actual tournament. And then you have just sports in general. It's just been a crazy month. And um, the Wild have given us no shortage of excitement here kind of over the last week or so. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. It kind of starts with the state high school hockey tournament that, that kind of you get geared up for. it. I actually was able to go to the hockey expo, too. So um, you get the energy there and then the high school tourney. Now all the trade deadline and the trade deadline's a little late this time, you know, this mm-hmm. year because it started late and the Olympic break was built in, but uh, still 20 games left the regular season. So kind of a sprint for the NHL uh, college season's kind of right on their normal pace. So uh, their, their conference tourneys wrapping up, but yeah, March madness. I don't even watch the basketball. There's enough hockey. Going on. <laughs> yeah. I think I've maybe watched like four or five games just here and there. And mostly it's been, it's yeah. been on at a bar or, you know, friends or roommates had it on. I've just kind of poked in and watched for five minutes. I did a bracket, and it's already ruined, so I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Hockey Expo is something I'd love to get to eventually. I have a <clears throat> a five-year-old son, my oldest. He's in his first year of hockey, and he had a, a jamboree, so I missed it this year. But um, I'd like to catch it. I've never been to it, but it looked pretty sweet by the videos. Well, it's cool, but I tell you who's going to like it more is your five-year-old. It's kind of oh, all the yeah. activa- activations that make it sweet. They just run around. Sure. It's like sauce hockey, shooting pucks. Yeah. My daughter, uh, she ran alone for like 30 minutes, just kind of ran around on her own, came back like two bags full of free stuff. I was like, get all that stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if she's like swindling people or what, but uh, yeah, lots of fun hockey stuff. Yeah, the awesome. giveaways are always sweet. I remember when I used to go, like when I was in youth hockey, it was always like mini sticks were the big thing in there. Oh, yeah. It's like right toward the tail end is when um, all the companies started doing like the the miniature like composite ones too. So they were like nice ones with the curves on them and everything. And I was like, geez, breaking the drywall in your parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I had an unfinished basement that we uh, we tore up pretty good. But uh, yeah. Well, let's get into the trade deadline. We did a reaction show um, on Monday, and and we'll kind of turn it over to you here since we've kind of digested everything but you know some pretty big moves going all the way back to Tyson Jost 
um, a couple weeks ago or a week or so ago. And then um, on deadline day itself, the Wild add uh, Jacob Middleton, Nick Delorier right around there too. And then, of course, um, the big name, the big fish, and Marc-Andre Fleury. So we'll start with Fleury since I think he's the big one. Um, you heard Matt Dumba, I think, said he couldn't even hardly take his pregame nap. He was so amped up with the moves Billy was making. Just kind of take us into your thoughts and then just being around the team, kind of the energy that, that Bill Guerin kind of pushed all the chips in is brought to the club. Well, it was interesting because Garen was very complimentary of the team and, and said, hey, the guys have kind of earned this. They've done their job for through the first 55, 60 games. Now it's time for me to do my job. But what I think you really have to give Bill Garen some credit is he goes out there and does his job. He kind of addresses what – and I think it's with communication from Everson and everybody. And uh, I, I think the club and management coaching staff, they do a great job communicating, like from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, very open-minded about all that stuff. So when it comes down to what they need, I don't think it's like throwing noodles at the wall and seeing what sticks. I think they knew what they wanted. And then purposefully that that gave Garen the opportunity or the chance to just go out and make a couple phone calls and target the guys he wants. And I think Delorier was one of those guys. Middleton mm-hmm. was one of those guys. Obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, listening to Garen yesterday, Sturm and Jost, uh, that, that seemed like it came together real fast. Like one phone call, hey, let's make this deal. Boom, it happened, right? And yep. I think that's one of those ones where, and I know you want to start with Flurry, but you look at Jost and, and Sturm, yeah. uh, maybe a little bit higher ceiling offensively for Jost. He was playing the same role as Sturm, but there's some cost certainty there. You know what, what Jost is going to cost. He can go up and down your lineup, so a little bit more flexibility. I think they also knew they weren't going to be able to keep Sturm, so it was one of those ones where it came together quick. wasn't part of the plan. Well, I would have loved to have had Sturm, I think, but – that opportunity popped up and, and Garen always kind of says that too. Like, Hey, listen, my, my phones are open and if something slides across my desk and makes it our club better, like I'll listen to it, but I'm not actively shopping guys. And I think that's a perfect example mm-hmm. when, uh, of when GMs and management say that kind of thing. But it does seem that the, the flurry trade was kind of the polarizing one where you go out and you get the marquee guy. And I think, you know, the moment he put that jersey on, he's probably the best player, the most marketable player of all time that has ever worn a wild jersey, right? Yep. And you've got mm-hmm. Koivu's jersey up in the rafters. Uh, Kaprizov at some point might pass him, right? But um, I think Gabrick, all the guys along the way, they're kind of playing second fiddle to Marc-Andre Fleury first ballot Hall of Fame, right? Three cups. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the most liked guy in hockey. So I think if you also look at at the way the wild season went where they had a lot of energy to start the season, the first 30 games and things started to slow down a little bit. And then they hit that rough patch and um, they, they've Everson and, and I think even Garen have really found a way to like throw some life back into the club right mm-hmm. around the winter classic team was on the skid. What do we do? They, they, they inject Boldy into the lineup yep. and then boom, he takes off and there's like this new energy and they're off and running again. And I think the Wild are struggling a little bit. And deadline time, Garen comes in, makes a couple of trades. Oh, my gosh, we're playing with Marc-Andre Fleury. We've got Delorier. Everybody's six inches taller on the ice. They're feeling a little mm-hmm. tougher, a little safer. Uh, we went out and got our number one goalie. GM thinks this is it. We're making a run. Yes, this is great. And now Energy, they came out again and just played like a solid game. And uh, But Marc-Andre Fleury brings so much more than just a guy that plays the net. And 
you look at Dumba's comments where he couldn't take his pregame nap and he's excited about mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of one guy that brings all that excitement. Garrett didn't have to spend a bunch of dough or a bunch of picks, prospects. Like yeah, he kept all his blue chips. To chip. me, that was the key is he went up and upgraded yeah. the team, got the things he needed without you know mm-hmm. leveraging all the future and, and the really valuable assets like those first round picks and those high end prospects. Yeah, like how good is that? He goes out mm-hmm. and he gets Delorier, Middleton, Jost, and then Marc Andre Fleury, and all his blue chips are here, but somehow the fan base and the team is completely energized and stoked. Like, yeah, we got it. Yeah. Let's go for a run. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, again, I think that comes down to the communication. They knew what they needed. Yep. They go out, they get it um, thoughtfully and don't overpay. And it's, it's so far it's provided a huge spark. I think uh, we saw it the other night when Delorier, Delorier was in the lineup. I know Middleton and Flurry hadn't what weren't playing mm-hmm. yet, but when he scored that goal and I mean the crowd was into it and that celebration he did, it just it kind of set the tone for that game. Got everyone fired up, and like you said, everyone looked like they were playing six inches taller in that game. It was just a huge energy around the team and around the fans. Yeah, it was kind of like let's go. So Boldy rewind to the calgary series boldy i think was kind of introduced to old school nhl a little bit mm-hmm. you know it's a young guy you're still impressionable and you got guys like Lucic kind of like in your face you know right. and it can yeah. be intimidating yeah. like, whoa <laughs> boldy has some pushback against vegas right you got delorier right. yeah that little you know, uh the little the little scrum over by the boards that unfortunately got the, the there, pulled yeah. off but yeah he was in yeah, there he, he was gets up it. yeah he was pushing guys all over I didn't even see Fiala score because I was watching it. I was like, hey, look at that. Like, he's feeling it. You know, like, yeah. it worked. And, um, but yeah, I think that sparked it. I think that if you look at what the Wilds' fourth line was to start the season, too, they've kind of, I think, learned what they needed to be to help them win games now. And I think For actually sure. Boldy's an important piece of that. Yep. So it was, it was Sturm, Duhame, Bukestad. I like you to be fast. You're you're pretty big, but they weren't like finishing their hits. They weren't running guys through the wall. Like they wanted them to pressure teams with their speed, and hopefully they could just tilt the ice a little bit. Well, as the season wore on, I think they started to realize like, hey, we got Boldy now, so we've got three legit lines that we'd like to get 16, 17 minutes to a night. That leaves us with eight, nine minutes if we're lucky for a fourth line. We don't need them to be terribly fast or skilled or score. Now, it's great that they did the other day, but what they need them to do mm-hmm. is run dudes through the glass, drag guys yeah. out of the crease, right? And yeah. just provide energy in that sense now because they have three other lines that they're ready to just yep. roll. Um, so the philosophy and, and the way that they can deploy that fourth line's changed, and um, what a huge game for them. Yeah, yeah. and I I think maybe the even better thing about that is, I mean, you kind of mentioned the fact, I mean, you look at their lineup right now, That's this is kind of leaving guys like, you know, like Connor Dewar or Nick Bukestad without a spot to play. And I think that's another key thing. I mean, like you said, they want to obviously seems a different identity in their fourth line. So they can maybe avoid that, maybe getting pushed around and play that more playoff style. But, I mean, it seems it seems to be, you know, it, it seems to be a pretty nice luxury, obviously, you know, come playoff time at the end of the year when, you know, a lot of injuries can happen, you know, when you might, especially the way their schedule is this year, you're probably going to be playing every other night, sometimes a lot of back-to-backs. Do you think, do you think it's, uh, you know, pretty important? I mean, you think part of that was just uh, getting a guy like Deloria or Jost just for that added depth? Because pretty much now, I mean, you know, if they want, 
they have a game where they're going to go into Vegas or something like that, and they know it's going to be physical, they can throw a Delore in there. But if they're going somewhere else where they're playing more skill team, you you got the guys like you know a Bukestad or a Dewar or whoever who you can pretty much just you know flip flop based on what you think the matchup or you know the kind of game you think is going to be played. Yeah, I think I think they, I think Everson will like the flexibility to put guys mm-hmm. in there. I think you touched on a key word, identity. Like, what do you want your club to be? I don't think he's going to toe the line of I'm going to try to outthink this coach or that coach on what I want us to be. I think Everson and Garen are kind of like, hey, we are uh, like what people have to match up against. We're not going to be concerned about somebody else. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they do want that to be their identity too, though, that they're their depth club that they got four lines that they can trust anybody. Uh, I think they do trust everybody out there. I think we've already seen Jost play six on five situations late in games, yeah. spotted in here and there. Um, originally, they had said Delorier is going to kill penalties. He didn't his first game. Uh, we'll see w- what comes of that. But um, yeah, it, it, it's going to be again that fourth line is going to be effective. The fourth line previously, I think they were effective because Everson used them 12, 13 minutes a night. They went down to seven minutes a night, and they just weren't effective. So they're going to get some pieces and some some valuable elements out of it now. And maybe he does move stuff around based on opponent. But I do believe that the you look around the West and even the East to some degree, like, okay, we are what we are. We're big. We're heavy. Look at the grief line. That's our identity. And they are good. So maybe maybe the way to win isn't to try to outskill these guys or, like, out Tampa, Tampa, out Colorado, Colorado. If we can't beat them that way, let's just beat them in a physical sense. Yep. Right. So let's yeah. be bigger, badder, tougher, and see who wins seven. Yeah, it almost seems like they're taking it back to like the old Western Conference, kind of in the early 2010s, when it seems like the Calgarys and the and the LA and the San Jose Sharks just had these big teams. Just you know, Dean Evans sort of pounded you down low and you know established the forecheck yeah. where you know you see a lot of these new age teams, the Colorados, the Vegases, the you know, the Florida's that like to play that speed north-south game, and it seems like the Wild have put an emphasis, you know, acquiring all these versatile players who are good skaters but also can can throw their weight around and kind of slow you down and then just kill you on the forecheck and hem in your zone for a couple minutes and eventually just bang in a dirty goal. Yeah, I mean, the Ducks won the Cup in 2007, and they, they were a good club for about five, six years after that, and that was really their recipe. They led the league in majors almost every year. Now you look at Middleton, Delorier, Felino. The top three guys in terms of majors this year, I think Delorier's 10, Middleton's 9, and Felino's 8, right? So one, two, three, boom. All of a sudden, this club is starting to look like those clubs, like the LA Kings, the Anaheim Ducks, as you mentioned, of 2010. You know, um, Yeah, I think it was 2012, the Kings won the cup yep. with a big heavy team like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right, spot on. I do think the game is cyclical in that sense, copycat league where some people are trying to copy how do you beat Tampa at being Tampa, the smart clubs and the one that might win it next is thinking different. Okay, how do we make Tampa not good anymore? Beat them up, right? right? Exactly. So I'll, I'll, I'll battle them because it's still part of the game. You know, another thing we talked about last show, something I like about these moves too is Felino doesn't feel like he has to be the guy now. Like he can be the guy to stand up for his teammates, but you got Delorier and Middleton that Delorier is a, top five in hits and he's willing to fight obviously like got 10 fights this year or whatnot so it keeps that grief line on the ice together where they're so effective 
uh, defensively. I think they went like the first 21 games together w- without allowing a goal. So you keep those guys on the ice bet uh, more together. I, I just feel it, it helps. I think you're right. And I think like you remember when Greenway's contract came out, a lot of people are like, whoa, that's a lot of money for Greenway. Mm-hmm. You know, like he doesn't have the numbers, but then you look at what the line does when they're together and you, you can lock up your identity for three years. Maybe you got to overpay a little bit, or maybe they did. Yep. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but yes. um, it's it, similar to Delorier. Like, Hey man, if, if we can keep Marcus on the ice and it's, it's not just about Marcus, it's about that line. If I can yeah. keep that line rolling all the time, uh, that's to my advantage. So uh, to relieve Marcus of the pressure of having to fight and sit five minutes in the box, maybe maybe 15 if he gets two, five, 10, right. whatever, right? Because that's mm-hmm. part of the role sometimes yeah. there too. Um, now I can roll these guys and Marcus can just focus on playing because when they play hockey, they're actually pretty, yeah. pretty darn good. You know? Oh, yeah. Hey, you don't score twenty goals by accident, so or whatever. I think <laughs> no, but it is. But it is amazing. You guys are stat guys. It is amazing. Marcus Foligno's shooting percentage over the last two years has hovered <laughs> around twenty five percent. Yep, he's led the league. Like the law of averages says, like there's no way this is sustainable. I would have bet my house on it last year. Yeah, that Marcus couldn't duplicate a twenty five percent shooting percentage, and here we are, three quarters of the way through, and he's done it. Yeah, I it's think amazing. part of it too just it's a testament to that line because they they just they create so much havoc and you know how many of those goals have been on you know rebounds or tip ins where they're just getting guys at the front of the net and just good positioning and you know wearing these guys down and finding those soft spots and eventually cashing in. But yeah, it's it's been great to see kind of the evolution of Marcus Foligno, you know, pure defensive forward into Marcus Foligno two way threatening power forward. Well, he's getting to he's getting to the point where it's like, well, gosh darn it. Marcus, shoot the puck more. Yeah. If it's going to go in, I'll tell you such a legal shot. Why are you only shooting it like 40 times a year, man? Like, fire that thing. You know, yeah, he makes but, some some dangles too this year. I've like, did Marcus Fuino just do that? Mm-hmm. Like, you like jump yeah. around the guy mm-hmm. and dangle him. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> right. Power forward that can dangle. <laughs> right. So that's, a, that's where, and Brett, you were talking about It's pretty impressive that he's come from. Uh, a role guy, a Delorier, if you will, right? Role guy, fighter, to maybe he's going to get a sniff on the penalty kill, and he got that chance here with, with the Wild under Boudreau, I think it was. Uh, did pretty well with that, then elevated the lineup a little bit, third-line role, to now he's getting a sniff on the power play and just continues to produce to where he went from a role guy to in the same conversation as Tom Wilson, like super tough mm-hmm. power forward, you know, and um, kudos to him for sticking with it and doing that. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, so, you know, you've been in professional locker rooms before. I'm sure you've been through your fair share of, of trade deadlines. Just from a player perspective on teams that you've been on in the past when they've made kind of these big moves, what is kind of the thought process from a team just and from a player standpoint when your GM puts you know puts you in this situation and and how have you been in locker rooms with just welcoming these players because it seems like that was the really other thing that stuck out to me about especially the Delorier move was it seemed like this guy instantly came in and looked like he'd been part of the team for like the whole season like the guys were mm-hmm. fired up on the bench for him he was cracking jokes with reporters how does all that just kind of play play itself out and you know maybe how has it been different with this wild club maybe compared to some other teams you've been a part of it seems to be different. And again, for me, a lot of it comes back to communication because um, I had heard that 
Bill Guerin has, has addressed the team at different times and talked about certain things like after the Calgary one, like, Hey, this is what, you know, this is what we're going to do. And um, I think he's just very forthright with everybody. A lot of the deadlines I've gone through, you really don't know what's going on, what management's thinking. Like, are you going to get traded? Are your buddy going to get traded? Are they looking mm-hmm. to upgrade? Are they happy? Are they not happy? You really have no idea. And you're just sitting there pounding refresh on your phone, seeing who's out and if your club's sure. involved and what the rumors are. Um, so it's kind of more reactionary. But I think because of the communication with this group, it was, hey, um, we're, we're going to help you. You guys have done your job. Now I'm going to do mine. Uh, you guys are safe for the most part, right? Like, um, don't you guys worry like Kevin Fiala? No, I'm not concerned that I can't sign you. I'm not trading you. Like, don't sweat other guys. Like, don't worry about it. We're a group right now. I'll do my job. Um, so I think that makes it easier for the team to accept anybody that comes in too. Like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Now they're, they're a part of it. Like, I'm not afraid that I'm losing my job. I'm not afraid that I'm going out the door or that coach doesn't like me, or management doesn't value me. It's just, hey, we're all here to do the same thing. Uh, and, and it seems that's the case. And they've got a good like, foundational culture there where nobody's swimming against the current. And I don't think anybody mm-hmm. has, so I don't think there's like an example of, this is what will happen if you do swim against the current, because nobody has. Right? Yeah. Like, they haven't yeah. had to like, yeah. exile anybody. You know? So it's, it seems to be a good group in that sense. Now, everybody that has come... It's kind of echoed that sentiment, like, oh, it's just so great in that locker room. Um, I can't imagine, like, how it can be more welcoming than many others. Like, you get there, everybody says hi, you shake everybody's hand, you meet the trainers. Um, but whatever it is in there, um, it, it seems to be working because every single guy touches on it. Yeah, I think kind of on a similar note to that, uh, you know, obviously with bringing Marc-Andre Fleury in goal, I mean, I got to imagine, you know, like you mentioned, just – with the, you know, the attitude in the locker room, the culture and all that, and being welcoming and inclusive, as everyone has talked about, you know, while it, it seems that, you know, Cam Talbot has, you know, taken taken this pretty well, obviously he played great last night, you know, says just going to be a good teammate, like all the other 24 guys in there. But you got to imagine that it's maybe, you know, a little bit of an awkward spot for him, considering that he's been, you know, the guy here the last two years, and then comes, you know, a future Hall of Famer, a guy who's won a few Stanley Cups. Uh, Former teammate thinks, of the GM on top of that, yeah. too. That's true. Yeah. And uh, you got, I mean, it, you know, obviously, like I just said, it seems like that's not going to be an issue. But, you know, looking at through history, uh, Fleury's career, you know, he's had to tandem kind of like that a few times in Pittsburgh with Matt Murray when they won twice in a row and in Vegas with Leonard the last couple of years. Uh, you know, do you think, do you think, I mean, for one, do you think that's maybe a little bit uh, awkward in any way for Cam Talbot to have that, you know, the guy come in here and maybe, kind of take up your spot or do you think it's just a, you know, just a mentality of, you know, they got a, you know, like I said, a hall of famer in here who's just going to help us win. And, you know, that's the only thing that matters for me. That that's the million dollar question. It, it, mm-hmm. it really is. I do. I subscribe to the personal theory that if you have, if you have two goaltenders, you really don't have one like quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that phrase yeah. before? Um, yeah. So it's, it's hard. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to go about that. I think it had. I think it will motivate Cam Talbot to be better. It certainly and, looked like it the other night because I thought that yeah, was one of yeah, his best yeah, games yeah. all year. I mean, he looks solid. Right, right. right. And the, now the Wild, have, I think, have been hoping for Cam to find that and have been doing everything they can to help Cam find that, that form so that maybe they didn't have to go get a Marc-Andre Fleury. But 
Bill Guerin has always said, like, hey, the guys in the room are character. And I think there has been communication with these guys in Cam Talbot, like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out and get this guy. Um, it's, it's not a slight on you, but uh, there's going to be real competition now. And, mm-hmm. you know, to win a cup, we all have to be good. So um, I think it, it's, uh, it's the challenge for Cam now how to respond to that appropriately, how to continue to play good, if he can find it consistently. You look at the numbers of their in terms of their age, 34 and 37 years old, games every other day, March and April are just jam-packed. It could be to the advantage to just simply rotate games, but mm-hmm. how that how that plays out in the end when you go into the playoffs, I don't think it's a strong suit to just be rotating goaltenders. I think mm-hmm. you, you'd like to ride a guy, and maybe they each have about 10 games here mm-hmm. to, to fight for the crease and see who it is, but... Um, high tide raises all ships, right? So uh, these two guys competing um, might find them each at, at the top of their game. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing too is I've kind of mulled on this from Cam's perspective that you know maybe as that vote of confidence, it's like, hey, we knew we had to move. You know, we had to move out one of the goalies. You're the one we decided to keep. Um, I would think that's you know it's it's still there about another guy, but hey, you're the one we decided to keep. You're the one we have faith in that we can you know, at a bare minimum we can tandem you with this guy. And I was just, I was so impressed that he came out and, and pitched a shutout the other night against, you know, a, a, a team that was, you know, motivated to win and they still, they still, you know, got through it and everything. And he looked great against a Vegas team that, you know, historically he struggled against. Um, you know, earlier this year, I think he surrendered like five goals to Vegas twice. Granted, they're missing some guys in that lineup, but just to come out on that night, knowing what could have been in his head to seem just cast it all aside and go out and do his thing was so impressive, especially just given, you know, how he struggled as of late, seeming to kind of find it again. Yeah, I think it illustrates the character that, that Garen has talked about throughout, right? Yeah. With, with these guys, mm-hmm. it's okay, back's against the wall. Now it's time for you to respond. I think it's a positive thing when you think about playoff hockey. Like if you can just find it and flip the switch and go, I think coaches don't love that, but it's nice to see that in a player. Like, okay, mm-hmm. like the message is sent. He gets it now, fully gets it, and his game, you know, found itself after getting that message. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, th- that's, that's probably what I'll keep the closest eye on is how the staff and management massages that goalie rotation and keeps those guys both feeling good. For sure. All right. So transitioning a little bit off the current wild and focusing a little bit more, uh, over to you. So you've had a pretty cool post playing career going from being a player and now, you know, being employed by the wild and doing all sorts of cool things with them from the, you know, the, the YouTube videos with the, uh, with the posted up doing the, you know, fun videos with Kaprizov and all the other wild players, as well as, you know, being able to do color here and there with, uh, Anton Lapanta, just kind of take us through kind of, you know, how you decided to, to go down that path and just like how getting into broadcasting and, and learning to see that game from a, from an analyst perspective, from a player perspective, just kind of what that's looked like and, and how you've grown in it since, you know, uh, starting it. Well, I just got, I think I was just very lucky, uh, small opportunity presented itself to do some TV pre and post. And I really wasn't comfortable doing it. I didn't want to do it. Um, you know, it's uh, when you're playing, it's kind of you versus the media at times. Right. So it's like, once you're done playing, I don't, it's like, it's not that enticing to jump right into the media. <laughs> right. you know? So I was like a little apprehensive. And again, like I had never, I had never practiced. I had no experience in it. It's like, you know, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm fortunate that, um, I took the leap. I tried it and wasn't great, but stuck with it. Little practice and a uh, little education on some stuff, and, and it's helped out. And then 
you mentioned the digital stuff. That's really helped too. Just getting in, just getting comfortable in front of a camera, talking to a player, you know, asking questions. Uh, at first, with some of that stuff, it was odd because you're asking like hockey questions that like you know the answer to, right. and you're mm-hmm. hoping like. And he's looking at you like, dude, you know the answer. Why are you asking me this? <laughs> dude, dude. Okay, okay, let's not talk hockey. Let's have some fun here. Let's just go around. Uh, let's see if we can't make this like a locker room setting. So that stuff has been really fun, the digital stuff. Uh, and then eventually it's it's turned into a chance to to be a color analyst uh, during the games alongside LePanthe and stuff too. So um, it's just kind of been – trial and error but a, a fun trial and error too you know it's a it's it's fun it's a good way to be involved in the game uh, broadcast certainly doesn't have the stress that playing does like it was nice on monday that i wasn't concerned if i was getting dealt right, or, <laughs> right. if i was losing my job all you had to do is just talk about it right that's the easy part right right like mm-hmm. i just yeah. had to be there, sit there like a fan and just hit refresh and just see what was happening you know so, yeah you weren't getting uh, traded like valley sports tennessee or something right right. <laughs> so, right you know i'm not getting shipped off valley sports yeah switzerland <laughs> <laughs> Uh, throughout that process, was there anyone um, that kind of like mentored you, one that you kind of went to for tips and how to improve your color, or, you know, how to be more comfortable on camera and different things like that? Or was it just kind of, you know, your own research and things like that? Yeah, trial by fire, man. Uh, it took me a while to dial in like the way to prepare. That was probably the, the question I asked most people was like, how do you prepare for this? You know, I didn't know, didn't know the information you needed or didn't need it, where to find it, uh, what to talk about, you know, what not to talk about. And it just took some time to figure all that stuff out. And I had played with a couple other guys that had dipped their toe in broadcast. So I'd reach out to them a little bit, see what they do. And everybody like Brett Hedekin was cool. He's like, send me uh, a copy of his charts and like what he looks up and what, what, what he thinks is important. And, um, then actually COVID I think helped quite a bit too, because broadcasters weren't traveling. Mm-hmm. So the color guys just started chatting more amongst each other. So set up a call like the day mm-hmm. of the game. This is what's going on with our club. What's going on with your club. And you get the storylines and then you start to understand how they prepare and, uh, I think that really helped a lot too, but um, for the most part, and I searched and searched and searched in Red Book. There is no handbook for uh, how to be a color analyst. Right. The NFL actually has a program, and yeah. I asked those turds. I said, "Hey, can I just buy your materials from you? Because they, they have like a boot camp for broadcasters. Because <laughs> the NFL spits out like seventy-five new broadcasters every year, like ex-players. Yeah. And I was like, "Hey, can I just buy your materials?" Uh, and they're like, <laughs> and did you right. say NHL? No, no chance. <laughs> you, didn't say F, you said H. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was no dice. So they're like, forget you, man. I was like, all right, asshole. <laughs> um, so on the digital side, you've got to do a lot of cool different interviews and, and skits to different players. Do you have one, you know, that was kind of the highlight for your one that was a favorite or just one that kind of really stuck with you as one you really enjoyed and, you know, just even – Maybe if it wasn't even the most popular one, you know, in terms of views or whatever, just one that you got done with, like, that was a ton of fun. Yeah, again, I think I think coronavirus really helped. And the, the Post It Up star, stuff started off as cooped up with carts. Like, everything was on Zoom. And in terms of the digital stuff on the wild side, like, there was there was things that needed to be delivered on the corporate side. And, and how do you do it and solving problems and trying to find, uh, like, 
content that was engaging via zoom because zoom got kind of stale you know mm-hmm. for a little while they like everybody just did like a two-box zoom it was just like a chat and like this um, <laughs> kind of but, but no but it was like it, it was how do you make that engaging yeah how do you make it fun how do you make it you know for both everybody involved uh, but the one with Greenway on pizzas and stuff uh, was hilarious. That I, I was legit <laughs> laughing while doing it. And it was kind of like an epiphany. Like, dude, if you're having fun doing it and they're having fun do it, doing it, I think it just makes good content and it's Absolutely. just more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So then that kind of got the ball rolling on some of this other stuff where we're screwing around on this stuff now. And um, it's uh, it's slowly getting better and more fun and uh, the relationship and the trust from player to myself on, on the stuff that's being put out there, I think is, is good. And while the fans, sorry, while the fans love the players, yeah. I, I feel like stuff like that makes them love the players even more kind of gets to see their, their side that they don't see on TV, maybe the, their personalities or who they are outside of hockey. Right, like who doesn't want to know that a guy's favorite pizza is pepperoni takes the pepperonis off? Like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> or, or how a guy makes a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? So, uh, no, that stuff's obviously uh, extremely important. But it is, it is cool to see. In some ways, it um, it's nice because I think that it's cliche to say you bring somebody into the locker room, but those are the kind of conversations you have in a locker room. Right. So if you can bring a fan to that, like, and you can ask them like stupid questions that they might be asking their buddy or something. Right. um, (laughs) It's just like, you're sitting there having a beer with them. I think that's, it's, it's important, valuable stuff. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's enough uh, wild talk for now. Let's, let's shift over college hockey. The, uh, the big tournament kicks off tomorrow, um, but wasn't without some, uh, some pre-drama. Um, our Mavericks were playing Bemidji State this weekend and had probably one of the most insane endings for a college hockey conference championship in history. Um, I was watching it on a stream, and I saw them score the goal, and I was like, all right, I'm turning the stream off, and my dad's at home watching on TV, and he goes, are you watching the Mavericks? I'm like, yeah, they won. Like, they gave out the trophies. Like, no, they're reviewing the goal. I'm like, what do you mean they're reviewing the goal? Like, they handed out the trophy. It's like it didn't go in. It went under the net. And so I'm, like, scrambling on Twitter. Like, thankfully, uh, f- fellow Mav2, uh, Dan Myers, was kind of, like, taken through, like, a play-by-play on Twitter. And um, I think eventually he tweeted out, like, a replay. And I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah, that went under the net. And there was all this question of what are they going to do? And all of a sudden the players are back. They all come back onto the ice. And basically Mankato has to win the game a second time. Um, but just a crazy night. Take me through kind of just, you know, what you were thinking throughout everything, too, as we kind of watch what unfolded there. Well, again, I was just I was just a fan of this. Like, it was yeah. an absolute train wreck. And it, it was kind of like, dude, I am here for this right now. And, uh, I, I mean, the more I thought about it, it, it made sense. It was like, okay, this is great. They're doing the right thing. You know, mm-hmm. Bemidji wins mm-hmm. this game. They get a chance at, at the national tournament. Um, Mankato's already got their automatic bid. Yep. So it's good to give these guys, and I'm thinking the seniors on Bemidji are probably in the room bawling their eyes out. The guys in Mankato pop champagne. They're smoking cigars. But wait, <laughs> they're not done. Hold on. You know, if, if you're a Bemidji, like, you get that call. Like, your career's over, and you get the call. It's like, you know what? You wanted one more chance? You got it. Yep. Here it is. One more chance. 
go off, go get it, right? How sweet yeah. would that be? And then on Mankato's yeah. side, it's like they're all burping up like champagne bubbles and stuff, right? And trying to play a game. It's like, good luck to you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was Bumidji's plan all along. Yeah, the, uh, all the college what? kids were at Rounders celebrating yeah. ready, and they're scrambling back to the arena to get in. And but, but you really break it down. Let's say that happens in the third period with three, two minutes left, just say, right? That goal, that, and mm-hmm. that ends up being the game winner. As soon as that puck is dropped on the faceoff, you can't go back and say, you know what? We reviewed that one, and it doesn't count, so let's come back out because now essentially the game's 2-2 or 1-1 yep. or whatever it is, and let's uh-huh. continue playing. It, it it, that's not the way it works, right? So now I think it's Northeastern was the final bid oh, yeah. right, into the national yeah. tournament. What happens if Bemidji wins that game? And Northeastern now no longer gets their bid, but it was technically over by the rules of the CCHA and the NCAA. Like it is over. Refs left the ice. It's over. Yep. There would be like lawsuits on who was playing in the national tournament this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Northeastern would have a legitimate case to say right. it doesn't matter if you want Bemidji. The game by the rule book is over. You know, so I think everybody's lucky that Mankato went out and won that game and everything kind of stayed the same. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything worked out the way it should have. But crazy story how it kind of all shook out. And if you go down the wormhole <laughs> of things that could have been, man, uh, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. And just like the arena itself, too, which is like empty. Like I'd seen, I don't know if it was verified or not, but like the refs had actually like completely left the building at one point And there was yeah. like, 20 fans it, left in the building like it was just nuts like this game was over over and all of a sudden like no hold up so i think that's what it is when the refs leave that's yeah. it the game's over yeah but they like they came back which shouldn't have happened now also like, like layer it with this what happens dryden mckay 35 wins ncaa this year right he goes out after sitting for 45 minutes and pulls a groin now you got the number one team in the country with uh, you know what could be the hobie baker winning goaltender pulled groin in a five minute match that shouldn't have, it should never happen yeah. right so mm-hmm. they're just the way it went down nobody got hurt like there's no more controversy it was dicey for 45 minutes right but uh i'm glad it worked out the way it did so that we're not having to deal with like more and more issues yeah for sure this time of year is so crazy for college hockey remember i'm a umd fan so yeah both these two are so i did yeah. love the playing field here right yeah <laughs> <laughs> 2018, we had like a 0.0001% chance to make the tournament. We end up, every chip falls in our place and we end up winning the whole thing. It's just the craziest things can happen this time of year. Well, and that would have been Northeastern's argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you, right? Like, we deserve that spot. We can go win a national tournament. Yeah. You can't just say, like, oh, maybe next year, you know, I can. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, I remember that year didn't, uh, 2000, I think they beat Mankato, right? I think so. They beat Mankato like the second or third game. Yeah, um, I'd have I think they beat Mankato sure. in overtime. Yeah, yeah. probably did. Just I was watching the ESPN Boss or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, I mean, my my dad was a Mankato alumni way back in the day. Never didn't play hockey or anything, but you know, when he was there, they were still playing. I think at the time, it might have been Division Two hockey, which no longer exists. And obviously, you're there. 
and you know <clears throat> early on in your hockey career you know post high school and all that and then since then I mean we've really seen this program become one of the powerhouses of division one ever kind of since Mike Hastings took over I mean it was kind of they were the the laughing stock of the WCHA for a while and all of a sudden some big names go through there like yourself like David Backus and now we just see them you know this is a team that's been consistently you know they're top of the the, the rankings year after year uh, my time there I don't think we were hardly ever ranked out of the top five and you, know, you have a team that, you know, the year they didn't have the tournament because of COVID might have been the best team they ever had. And just to have it back here, just how far has this program come even from, from when you were there? Oh, man, it's, it's come a, a really long way. And this isn't a shout on anybody. It's more of a compliment towards Mike Hastings. I think he kind of figured out a niche in recruiting and mm-hmm. targeted a, a, a segment of, boy, the hockey population, I guess you could say, that mm-hmm. he wanted to get and that he wanted to have play for him similar to culture in the locker room with the wild i think that's probably about most important for um importance for hastings too so he gets quality humans and then he plays the snot out of him works uh works him down like to the bone and builds him back up and then you get this solid group of guys that go out and just compete and they're they're older they're stronger they're wise and um you put that up there against some of the top schools you know like mankato at originally in the early Hastings days can't compete with the, the high end talent. Like your, your mm-hmm. first round draft picks getting recruited out of Minnesota. Like right. you can throw your name in the hat, but it's, it, it was going to be the first name tossed out. Right. So they were like, you know what, we're not going to waste our time and our energy mm-hmm. on these guys, knowing that we're never going to get them. Let's go, let's go pound pavement, Western Canada. Let's get some mean dudes and let's play right. some hockey. And it, it's worked for them. And, They've yep. continued to do it, and they haven't they haven't strayed from it, um, and they've they've found a level of consistency that is is really impressive when it comes to college hockey and refilling the cupboards. You know, they get a good class, but they just reload it. Yeah, yeah. and I think. Oh, sorry, Justin, but uh, do you think that that's maybe the key to success nowadays, college hockey? Because it seems, I mean, uh, we got a question here from Sinbin Ten or Sinbin One Hundred on Twitter, who basically asked. You know, I think you kind of just touched on it with team like Mankato being have more so overagers or the older guys versus the teams like at the at the U of M down here, where as you mentioned, they have a lot of the more higher draft picks. You know, the 18, 19 year olds, and you know, me and Justin have kind of seen a similar thing in UMD, where it seems to be the, the teams that have had the most success have been the ones who you know the guys are around for more than just a year or two on their way, you know, to pro hockey and to their career. Do you think that's Pretty. I mean, obviously, there's there's outliers, but do you think that's pretty much the key to success nowadays yeah. at that level? Yeah, they can build and and they can they can develop legit leaders. You know, their their top mm-hmm. prospects aren't leaving after two years. You're you know, and you can count on these guys to come back. And what you need mm-hmm. in terms of recruiting, you know, if you're making a a balanced mm-hmm. lunch. Um, one of my coaches used to say this, you, you don't have like all meat sticks in there. You don't, it's not like all turkey on your sandwich. Like you need a little lettuce, you need a little mayo, you need a little cheese, right? So uh, when they're recruiting, they can, they can go out and get the meat, the cheese, the salad and everything. They can count on it being there. So all of a sudden you find out in the 11th hour that your sophomore, the media program's leaving, right? And then you're like, well, where, how, how am I going to go find meat right now? It's, it's not there, right? I can't, now my sandwich is a vegetarian sandwich. Nobody wants that, right? So, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think that's the way it is. They can count on it, and they can count on their guys. Uh, they also, I think, stay true to themselves. It's not like there's they're number one in the in the country for a handful of years, and it's it's 
it might be tantalizing to go out there and find that 18 year old stud and see if you can't land them. They haven't even tried yet. They're like, this is working. This is what we want. This is our culture. Let's stick to it. And uh, I think you got to tip the cap to them for that too. Yeah. I mean, you got to look at a team like Michigan who, you know, as I think for the top five picks from last year's draft were on Michigan with Matty Beneers and Owen power and Kent Johnson and, and Luke Hughes and, those it's great they're going to probably go on a run this year but then next year i mean all these guys could be on their way to the nhl and you're almost back at square one again like it's just right it's, it's, it's such to, a gamble to, to be competitive again yeah. now you have to reload for, for like top 10 picks right so um mm-hmm. yeah it's we'll see i i don't know how the bracket lays out but it would be great to see michigan minnesota state because then that would get everybody on that debate like what's best for college mm-hmm. hockey young studs or these guys and, and what wins and what doesn't. But For sure. um, that'd be a great matchup. Right. Yeah, so a really cool thing about this year's bracket, um, we'll see if it comes to fruition or not, um, is there's a chance for there to be an all-Minnesota Final Four um, with all of the Minnesota teams being put in different regions. And a lot of good teams this year. The Gophers were you know, coming in on the coaches' poll. The Gophers were two. Mankato was one. Duluth just made a power run through the NCHC to I think they're basically now like number three. St. Cloud's been hanging around all year, kind of in the top 10. So it's like another awesome year after, you know, five teams go last year um, with Bemidji making it in. Of course, close this year, needing, you know, a win away from being in. And obviously St. Thomas coming in as the sixth, you know, college program in Minnesota this year as well. And I'm sure it'll be just a matter of years before they start building really good programs too. So it's like, what a cool time for college hockey in Minnesota too, for all these teams to be good and to find different ways to recruit and to find different players mm-hmm. as well. And to potentially represent our state, you know, as a, as a frozen forward should be pretty cool. Yeah. And I think you got to look at it from the high school kids perspective too, where uh, great for them because now you've got six programs. If, if you want to impress them and you got a chance mm-hmm. to play. So um I don't know. If, are you guys picking up that audio? Yeah. 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 Uh, but, yeah, what a great time for the high school kids, too. You got six Division One programs. Like, you play a high school game, you probably have six scouts there. Like, right. you know, you could be the sixth best player on the ice. You still got a chance, right? right. So, yeah. uh, no, I mean, yeah, it's Minnesota hockey. Uh, again, we talked about March. You got the high school tourney. You got six Division One schools right here. So, um, no, man, it's uh, – it's the state of hockey. I think sometimes people like to rip on us for that, but I think it really is. Right. For sure. Uh, you guys have any other questions for Ryan? Otherwise, we can maybe dip into a, a couple listener questions here before we uh, before I we guess I just had, I had one question. I was thinking about kind of going through your, your elite prospects pro- profile and, and kind of thinking about how UMD recruits. Um, I saw you went from White Bear Lake to the USHL to college. How much did that time in the USHL help you? develop for the the college level it 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 bought me time i think mentally i wasn't prepared for college yet so i was i believed everybody when they kind of said like it's going to be super hard to play college hockey like you're never going to play in the Mm -hmm. nhl so Mm -hmm. just try to focus on school i believed all that stuff so i like mentally wasn't prepared to take on college hockey like Mm -hmm. i I do believe that had i thought in my mind that i'm ready to play division one hockey after high school that i likely could have but I just never thought that, right? So I needed the I needed the time in junior to like mature mentally. Yeah. So, so I got to Mankato as a freshman, twenty, and I was like, you know what? I am ready for this, and I just kind of hit the ground running. That's why I only played two years college before okay. I was playing the NHL. And it was those two years of growth in the USHL that really set me up for that. And I encourage 
Uh, I would encourage every player to play in the USHL, not be in a hurry. And then same with the American League. Like if you're an NHL prospect, embrace like, yeah. like Jack McBain. I would say, buddy, don't like don't bypass the AHL, man. You're gonna be a better yeah. player in the long run. You don't need mm-hmm. to hit pay dirt in your first contract. It's like your second right. or third, man. So yeah. um, trust the process. Be a good player. Uh, and that's what matters in the end. And I right. think those developmental leagues really turn you into the best possible player. Right. Absolutely. All right, we'll hit you with a couple rapid-fire questions here before we wrap up. Uh, we have one from Maddie, who's a good friend of the show. She's wondering, uh, what is your favorite part about being on Bally with LaPana? <laughs> My favorite part about uh, you know, You know what is kind of fun is there is a little, like, off-camp, like, locker room camaraderie there where I, I get after LaPanta and vice versa, like, where we can sneak in a jab here and there during the broadcast or even some of the other stuff we work on a little bit. <laughs> that, that stuff's kind of fun, keeps you sharp. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a hockey player, a hockey nerd, and getting done playing, it was pretty frightening, the prospect of hitting the real world at 35 with no like marketable skills. So I'm just stoked to be able to like talk about hockey and still be involved in around hockey people. For sure. Uh, next one comes from Sam Kropp. Uh He asked, which name have you had the most trouble with during your commentating career? <laughs> well, we just traded them. Koppel. Uh, uh, that one was a, just trying to get it right because you don't want to say the other version of it. So yeah. I think I... I think he was the only player that I was like in my mind. I was like, I'm just cool with this. I'm just going first name Koppel. Like I'm, I'm never gonna say his last name. <laughs> like, oh, big name Koppel. <laughs> you know, everybody else, you're kind of like a last namer. I got a lot mm-hmm. of heat early on too from the production staff, the Wild staff, because it's they like last names. Like it's unprofessional to call them by like their nicknames, kind of. Mm-hmm. But they were like my buddies. They were like my peers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Like Jason Zucker, I couldn't call him like Zucker. It, it was like Zucks. And yeah. Like it's not Zucks. It's Zucker. I like, yeah, I know, but that's what I call him. Like, like I'm new to this broadcasting thing. Just chill. Okay. It'll be okay. <laughs> or, uh, so there was a couple of those situations, but for sure, Koppel uh, was an absolute tongue twister. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, can handle Delorier, Jost, and, and Middleton, um, and Flurry. Those shouldn't be too bad. Um, <laughs> With, with the new guys brought in here. Uh, guys, any uh, any final questions for Ryan before we uh, wrap things up with them today and uh, address the last couple of things for our show here? Yeah, nothing for me. No, I can't think of any more. Perfect. I well, uh, show. yeah, I appreciate you coming on, Ryan. Yeah, anything you, you want to pitch? I know you've got a podcast of your own. If you want to throw a, a little pitch in for that uh, and then just let everyone know, you know, where, where they can find that and then just where they can follow you on Twitter and stay tuned with, uh, with everything that you're doing with the Wild and, and with Bally Sports as well. Yeah, Twitter and Instagram, Ryan Carter. I don't know my handles. I should be better at that. I don't. Um, but just look for the check mark. Um, You're lucky. You got one of the check marks, so it should should be able okay. To pop yeah, up easily. We got a new posted up. You guys, this will, I think this will be a good posted up with Matt Dumba. Uh, we eat some spicy wings. Uh, we cut a beef, so that this one's kind of entertaining. It comes out here in the next couple of days. Stanley on Seventh, the podcast that I do uh, with John King, Mister All Hockey Hair Team. Uh, the gist of that podcast, the premise is, uh, I think Minnesota sports fans are reluctant to get invested into the sports because, uh, like the the closer they get to them, the more they love them. Like yes. it hurts when they let them down a little bit, so they're always <laughs> right? on the yeah. flank. 
Uh, we're trying to break that mold and say, you know what, give that club a big hug, man. Just be all in. Uh, embrace the pain when it comes. But I do believe, like, the energy in the building, like Minnesota sports, like, they're just waiting for the implosion. Hey, guys, mm-hmm. expect greatness, and it might actually come. So uh, right. that's what we're trying to pitch there. But Stanley on 7th, uh, you can find it, I think, where you get most of your podcasts. So. Perfect. And then just one final thing for me. Uh, my roommate is is a White Bear alum, so he would be remiss if I uh, didn't throw a Go Bears um, <laughs> in your direction before we finish up. So the last thing I kind of want to I, I want to pitch about here. Uh, so you know, Hockey Day Minnesota this year goes in Mankato. Announces next year it's going to White Bear Lake. Mankato alum, White Bear alum. Is there a little conspiracy going on here? Do you have a hand in and where Hockey Day is going? Well, I tell you what, guys. If, uh, if- <laughs> You guys want it, Duluth sometime. Zeke, Justin, your big Duluth guys, let me know. I am taking bids right now. <laughs> Is this no, like the Taylor yeah. Hall first overall pick type type thing? Right, right. I can be bought. Uh, <laughs> no, I wish I could. Uh, it seems that it seems that it's following uh, my career path, Mankato, and eventually up to you know White Bear Lake. And I had somebody joke. Where's it going next? New Jersey, like Green Bay, you know. But, uh, I, I had no hand in that, um, just just by chance. But I'm I'm really excited for that. It's going to be a fun one, man. White Bear Lake, uh, you know, obviously grew up there, and and I feel it's a rich hockey community, good tradition there. So they're excited about the opportunity to host such a big event, and I'm sure that there will be plenty of legitimate white bears. I know I have one on my porch here that will be represented um, <laughs> while at hockey day there. there. Like, I bet you there should be like a hide and seek, like for the, uh, like the camera views, like little white bears <laughs> hidden, like in the trees. <laughs> yeah. All over. yeah as, so I had, I had a college roommate and my current roommate were both white bear grads. Um, one of them, I think was actually the one that made the announcement with you, uh, Anderson. Uh, his kid Sam uh, was my college roommate, and like he had the little white bear like figure uh, in our room in college. Like they're everywhere. He's not kidding. Like everywhere you go, there's little white bears. There's one on like everybody's porch. Yeah. It's like street cred. Yep. Like white bear street cred. You gotta have one, or you're not like legit. So yeah, that's funny. Yeah. All right. Um. Well, I think that about wraps up for us. Um. Anything else you want to pitch or anything like that? Otherwise, uh, otherwise we'll let you go and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening here. Yeah, no, guys, uh, a lot of fun. Thanks. Um, enjoy the stuff that you guys do, the coverage you have of the Wild, so keep that up. Uh, fun to follow. Appreciate it. The The feeling's mutual. You've had some some hilarious tweets lately with some of your reactions to different things uh, from the you know, just commenting on players' facial hairs and, and just all the funny videos and things. I think you bring a nice sense of humor to everything. It, uh, you know, to lighten things up in a fan base that can sometimes get caught in our own seriousness and intentness a little bit too often. <laughs> right, right, cool. I right, appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Ryan. We appreciate yep, it. Have you. a good one. All right, and a big thank you again to Ryan Carter for jumping on Sound the Foghorn. Uh, do be sure to check out his podcast as well. Again, that's um, Stanley on 7th where they try to uh, bring you out of your sports or your Minnesota sports fandom misery um, and put the positive spin on things. Um, keep an eye out for Post It Up across the wild digital channels. Um, sounds like a really fun episode coming up there with Matt Dumba. Um, who we, we can obviously assume with Ryan Carter and Matt Dumb in the same room. It's got to be entertaining. So uh, check those out. Be sure to toss Carter a follow on his socials as well. Uh, we'll have his Twitter tagged um, in, in, in the, on Twitter as well as in the description, so you'll be able to click that uh, there. Um, but, yeah, I think that kind of takes us to the end of the show today. Uh, gentlemen, any uh, any final thoughts here before we wrap up and, 
and head into uh, another big weekend for the Wild? No, I just thought it was an amazing time with Ryan. He was really easy to talk to. So, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no, just not much. Just kind of echo what Justin said. Uh, really appreciate him giving us a good 50 minutes of time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, you, uh, hopefully, all all of you listeners out there uh, enjoy it and uh, uh, just you know enjoy the weekend. Obviously, coming up three games in four days should be a lot of fun hockey going on. And on top of that, too, all of our Minnesota college teams in action uh, starting uh-huh. tomorrow. Uh, Mankato and Harvard at 11 a.m. Duluth, Michigan Tech at 2 Some p.m. Yep. What, what happened? I said go Bulldog. Oh, I thought you said hold on. Oh. No, I said go Bulldog. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> and then the Gophers at 5 oh, against boy. UMass, and then uh, St. Cloud uh, somehow gets the primetime 7 o'clock game, which who cares? Hmm. Um, you know, could have put Mankato or, you know, Duluth, you know, two of the top three teams in the country in primetime, but no. We have to tune into those somehow during our lunch hours tomorrow, which thanks for that, NCAA. Um, but, yeah, just uh, yeah, should be another great weekend of hockey. You know, much like the state tournament, you'll have be able to have hockey on your TV seeming all day, every day, you know, probably now through Sunday um, with that tournament and, you know, the, the wild with the matinee early evening game on Friday. Uh, yeah, we're back on track again. Another Wednesday show next week. It looks like the Wild are kind of off their, uh, for the rest of the year, they don't play a Wednesday. They, uh, finally stopped screwing with our schedule, so we'll be back on track, um, with the one, one show a week, Wednesdays, uh, barring any last minute changes to those, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, that should about do it here. So, uh, Zeke, just remind, uh, everyone where they can find you and all your work. Uh, you know, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Zeke Boyett, and you can find my writing work at uh, tankhearings.com and justin what about you uh, you can find me at d east 2004 you can find me at caprice C with the caprice of countdown you can find me at mnw prospects with the mnw young guns and as always you can find me on twitter at b underscore marsh 92 be sure you are following the podcast account as well at sound the foghorn all one word both on twitter and instagram Bruce Boudreaux returns to Minnesota tomorrow night as the Wild take on the Vancouver Canucks. Big games over the weekend against Columbus and Colorado, the NCAA tournament going on as well, so plenty of hockey to keep you busy until next Wednesday when we are back. But until then, this has been another episode of 